Hello and welcome to the Aura of Greatness, episode 1.4, University in the Northern Reaches of Argentina. Welcome back. Last time we covered the state of Argentina during World War II, the Guevara family's move to Cordoba, and the rise of Juan Perón. This time we will explore Che's high school graduation and the first few years of university. On January 26, 1944, the Argentine government broke off diplomatic relations with Nazi Germany and then declared war on Germany on March 27, 1945. The Guevara family was overjoyed when they heard the news that Argentina was at long last breaking off all contact with the fascist state. Between Action Argentina and the Committee Pro de Gaulle, the Guevara's had spent a lot of time working against the Nazis and in a way felt ownership over the decision to align closer to the Allied cause. Che, however, did not share his family's enthusiasm. From Che's perspective, the government's move had little to do with the will of the common people and instead had everything to do with the pressure from the United States. Che was said to have been visibly angry when he confronted his celebrating parents over the end of diplomatic relations with Germany. He was upset because the move was not about the country's principles, but rather pressure from an outside power. From all of my reading, this seems to have been the first time that Che expressed his anger at the ever-growing United States hegemony over the region. We are still many years away from the moment that would radicalize Che Guevara as a revolutionary bent on fighting American imperialism, but this moment does seem to set the foundation. Che will grow up to have a very specific viewpoint on the world, but he has long held the trappings of an idealist. He would always be guided by ideals rather than practical considerations, even when those ideals led him down the road to trouble. Che strongly believed that foreign policy should be governed by those ideals and on principle. He hated the fact that his own government had caved just because the new emerging superpower had told them to do so. The hate, though, only went so far. A few months later, on August 25, 1944, when Paris was liberated from the Nazis, Che Guevara was one of many celebrating in the streets of Cordoba that day and in the days to come. The following year, in 1945, Che entered his junior year of high school, and at long last he started taking his schooling a touch more seriously. He took his first philosophy class that year, and finally found a course where he could express himself and begin to organize his thoughts. He wrote journals and scribbled notes. He compiled many of them in order to assemble his own philosophy book of sorts. He packed it full with his own thoughts, his own poetry, but also thought-provoking quotes from the newest books he was reading while wheezing. On June 4, 1946, Juan Perón took office as the president of Argentina. Ten days later, Che celebrated his 18th birthday. 1946 was also Che's last year of high school. Money was starting to run thin at home, and so like so many other high schoolers around the world, Che sought his first paying job. He found a job with Cordoba's Provincial Road Department. His father had arranged for Che to take a special course for field analysts so that he could attain the classification of soil specialist. Che worked in the lab and used his skills in math and science to examine materials used by the private companies contracted to build roads. Che worked part-time with the department until he graduated from Dean Funes later on in that year. Upon graduation, the department offered Che a full-time contract. The contract included a modest salary, a company truck, and free lodging, but it also required him to move to Villa Maria. According to Google Maps, Villa Maria is 156 kilometers, or 97 miles, southeast of Cordoba City, down Highway 9. Che took the job and moved out on his own for the first time with his friend Tomas Granado. Tomas was Alberto Granado's younger brother, and roughly the same age as Che. The two moved away from their families and started making their own way in life. Together they would discuss their plans for university. Each saw a bright future ahead of them after they received their bachelor's degree in engineering. 
With Che out of the house, the Guevara family decided that after 15 years, it was time to move back to Buenos Aires. The move was not totally their own decision. Guevara Lynch's building business had failed, and they had to start thinking about how to save some money. The family sold their summer home, sold their Cordoba home, and in March 1947, the family moved in with Guevara Lynch's 96-year-old mother, Ana Isabel. Celia and Ernesto's marriage had effectively ended. They still lived together, but would never again share the marriage bed. 1947 continued to worsen for the Guevara family when Ana Isabel fell ill. The family sent Che a telegram to inform him of the worsening state of his beloved grandmother. A distraught Che wrote back to his family that if she worsened in any way to let him know immediately as he planned to resign his job to be with his family. In May 1947, the bad news came. Ana Isabel had suffered a stroke, and though she had survived it, it was clear to all around her that she did not have much time left. Che quit his job and raced to Buenos Aires. He made it to her deathbed 17 days before she would pass away. During that time, he would not leave her side for anything. Years later, Guevara Lynch would write, Ernesto, desperate at seeing that his grandmother didn't eat, tried with incredible patience to get her to eat, entertaining her and without leaving her side, and he remained there until my mother left this world. When Ana Isabel died, Che was inconsolable. Nothing could be said to make him feel better. John Lee Anderson interviewed Che's sister Celia for the biography Che Guevara, A Revolutionary Life. He reports that Celia remembers her usually self-contained brother as grief-stricken. Celia said he was very sad. It must have been one of the great sadnesses of his life. The time spent next to his grandmother's deathbed had helped reveal something to the young Che Guevara, though. He realized that he did not want to dedicate his life to a career in engineering. He was good at it, and there was certainly money to be made in the field, but he was not passionate about the subject. The subject he was passionate about was instead medicine. Sitting next to the bed, grasping the weak fingers of his dying grandmother, Che had come to the realization that as Dr. Guevara de la Serna, he would be able to make a positive impact on society. One motivation for the change was that he wanted to combat his own frailness, as his main area of study would be respiratory issues. He would make a real attempt to try to cure asthma, but as anyone who has ever reached for an inhaler can attest, the dream of an asthma-free world would be one that Dr. Guevara would abandon once the revolutionary bug bit him. As one of eleven children, Guevara Lynch did not receive much of an inheritance when his mother passed away, and over the next year the Guevara family continued to struggle economically. At first they continued to stay in Ana Isabel's apartment, but finally they decided to sell the plantation in the Masones province. The Yerba province had never lived up to its economic potential, and over the past couple of years, they had actually lost money due to property taxes and other such expenses. Luckily, Guevara Lynch was able to find a buyer, and he used the money to purchase a small home in Buenos Aires for the family. Unfortunately for him, he would be relegated to the couch in the living room for sleeping. Soon, Celia and Ernesto would seek a legal divorce and no longer live together. Che's younger siblings were forced to get jobs to help contribute, and for the moment, the future was looking grim for the family. Che, on the other hand, was beginning to excel. He was accepted for admission by the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Buenos Aires. He began his studies and exhibited a quick intelligence in the early stages of his education. Upon moving to Buenos Aires, he had been forced to change his usual physicians. He continued suffering from asthma-related conditions and decided to begin seeing Dr. Salvador Pisani. Dr. Pisani specialized in diseases related to allergies, and he had had some success with treating people with respiratory issues such as asthma. Che had found that conventional medicine had no solutions for his asthma, and that was why he had been attracted to Pisani's clinic. Dr. Pisani was beginning to become well-known in the medical community for his creative theories regarding allergy cures. His theory was that people could be desensitized to their allergies by means of injection. 
He prepared the injections in his own laboratory, and they usually included semi-digested foodstuffs. His theories had even gained international attention as doctors around the world began discussing the viability of the injections. Dr. Pisani started treating Che and even had some success in combating his asthma. He would never be able to cure it, but the improvements excited Che to a point where he believed that his useless lungs might actually have the chance to be fixed. Che began his own research into allergies and asthma to supplement the general studies he had begun receiving from the University of Buenos Aires. Soon his knowledge of the subject earned him the attention of Dr. Pisani, and he was offered an internship as an unpaid research assistant. Che jumped at the opportunity. Not only was this the exact type of opportunity that every medical student dreams about, but the additional research was into a subject that Che was passionate about, as well as had a personal stake in. It was the perfect opportunity. Che would remark years later about his choice to pursue a medical career that he dreamed of becoming a famous investigator, of working indefatigably to find something that could be definitively placed at the disposition of humanity. In Young Che, Memories of Che Guevara by his father, which is an English translation of Ernesto Guevara Lynch's books, My Son Che, and A Soldier of the Americas. Che's father recounts a story that details just how tenaciously Che would go to fulfill his dream. Dr. Pisani had ordered a machine from Sweden that would be used to grind entrails in order to study them. After the machine arrived, Che had been so excited to use the machine that he had procured entrails from the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Buenos Aires to use in his research. The entrails had belonged to people who had died from infectious diseases, and his goal was to use the machine to study those diseases. As Che set up the machine, he noticed that the machine was missing a key piece. The missing piece was a rubber cap. The rubber cap's function was to provide a barrier between the entrails being grinded and the machine's operator. Che decided his research was too important to postpone until the clinic had received the missing cap, and he proceeded. He grinded the entrails, but without the cap, he was exposed to the very infectious diseases that had killed the previous owners of the entrails. Navarro Lynch reports that Che grew gravely ill in the aftermath. His temperature spiked, and he laid in bed, slowly growing worse over the course of the day. Dr. Pisani was called, and he came to the Guevara household immediately in order to deliver an injection and examine Che. After Dr. Pisani's visit, Che recovered. It was a scary moment for the Guevara family, and Guevara Lynch reports that together they stayed up most of the night worrying about Che. However, by morning, Che felt so much better that he dressed and headed out the door in order to take his scheduled exams for the day. Che was very lucky that his rash behavior had not cost him his life. We will find that last sentiment to be a recurring one through much of Che's life. Che was reckless and bold, but he was also lucky and dedicated. The combination of those four attributes would often get him into troubling situations, but they would also carry him through those same situations. In the classroom, Che was also experiencing success in his studies. He was passing his exams and moving through his schoolwork at the expected pace. He was well on his way to completing his degree, but was also starting to become restless. When he was not studying, researching at Dr. Pisani's laboratory, sitting for exams, or working at one of his part-time paid jobs, Che was usually found hitchhiking. The open road called to the young Che. He wanted to travel and he wanted to see the world. He continued to devour books throughout his years at university, but he had made it to the point of his life where he wanted to experience the world in person and not just through the pages of a book. His trips originally only went as far as his old haunts in the Cordoba province, but as he began to feel more comfortable traveling, he expanded to new and farther afield places. We will end today's episode with his first large solo trip through Argentina, but first we will flesh out his college life a little bit more. During his first year at university, Che was selected in Argentina's military draft. He arrived for his physical, but was unable to pass it due to his asthma. 
He was rejected by the military on the grounds of diminished physical abilities. Che was said to have later thanked his shitty lungs for actually doing something useful and keeping him out of the military. It is a little ironic that perhaps the most iconic guerrilla soldier's first experience with the military was a flat-out rejection. With his rejection from the military, instead of spending time on military service, Che spent his time on his studies, his research, his part-time jobs, his incessant reading, and his growing passion for writing. As he read, he began working on philosophical journeys to collect his thoughts and track his progression of ideas. Those notebooks are said to record his early attempts at poetry, his growing understanding of the world, and his drift from leftward leaning to having communist sympathies. His need to write was further illustrated in his short-lived rugby-themed newspaper, Tackle. Che wrote and edited Tackle for its whole 11-issue run. The articles he wrote were mainly reviews of games played, but in the final edition of Tackle, Che wrote about social inequality in the country's rugby community. The article gained him a trip from the authorities, but he escaped any reprisals by closing up shop and leaving on his motorcycle trip through the continent. As with most university students, Che had his fair share of money-making schemes. While he did not donate plasma the way students do nowadays, Che still found a variety of ways to make money. One of his schemes included buying shoes at wholesale auctions and estate sales in order to get many cheap shoes before going out and selling the shoes door-to-door. It seemed like a great idea until he and his friends discovered that the shoes that they had bought included many mismatched shoes. They were still able to match and sell enough shoes to break even, but eventually they were left with several single shoes. In a bit of creative problem-solving, Jay decided to sell one of the remaining shoes to a one-legged man. Family and friends liked to joke that if only they had a way to contact every one-legged person in the world, that Che and his friends were sure to become rich. Despite the failed scheme, Che was the first to laugh at himself. He even proudly took several of the mismatched leftover shoes and wore them. The mismatched shoes just became one more eccentricity for Che's strange fashion sense. Che's true escape in the place he felt the most free was the open road, whether it was on his motorized bicycle or by hitchhiking. Che loved to get away from the hustle and bustle of Argentina's capital city. His early travel usually only went as far as his old hometowns of Cordoba and Altagracia. The usually 10-hour drive would sometimes take him as long as 72 hours, but he loved doing it. Travel filled Che with a sense of wonder. Even when he was only going to places he had been a thousand times, he relished the opportunity of the adventure. Sometimes he was carried on the back of trucks. Sometimes he would have to earn his passage by helping to unload the trucks upon arrival. Whatever the cost of travel was, he gladly paid it as long as it wasn't actually money. The open road beckoned, and Che longed to answer the call. After several journeys, Che wanted to broaden his horizons and test his own limits of travel. For the most part, his initial journeys included going with a friend, which of course provided some security in case the driver of the vehicle turned against them, or if Che experienced an asthma attack. Che reached a point where he needed to know if he could handle traveling on his own. Throughout his life, Che had performed daredevil acts and played tough physical sports in an effort to prove to his family, his peers, and himself that his asthmatic lungs did not define him. He now needed to know if that were actually true. The curious mind that devoured books in order to learn more about the world was now curious to add his own experiences to those he had only read about, so he planned a trip. This was not THE trip, this was his test trip, and it will be the last topic we cover today. Che's plan was to travel first to Cordoba and then onward to San Francisco del Chinar. San Francisco del Chinar is about 150 kilometers or 95 miles further north and was chosen as Che's friend Alberto Bernardo was working there studying and treating patients with leprosy. The plan was to leave shortly after the end of his third year in medical school and to ride a bicycle outfitted with a small Italian Cucciolo engine. 
He would leave on January 1, 1950, and head for the Argentine interior. If you are curious what Che looked like at this point in his life, then you can check out a picture I've uploaded to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash auraofgreatnesspodcast. The picture depicts Che on his bicycle on the morning that he left. The trip would prove to be a success, and Amerimex, the company that sold Che the engine, would use this photograph in an advertisement that touted the effectiveness of their Cuchiolo bike engines. Che left in the evening on the 1st. He used the engine to get out of the city before switching to pedaling. He pedaled all night with a fellow cyclist he met along the way, and by morning he had reached Pilar. Pilar is a town just outside Buenos Aires. Pilar was the destination that Che had set as his first goal. His family had joked that it would also be his last stop on his little adventure. But arriving in the town filled Che with enthusiasm. In his journal, Che would say he, quote, felt the first happiness of one who triumphs. He would not be stopping in Pilar, and instead was just starting a trip that would span six weeks, 12 Argentine provinces, and over 4,000 kilometers. Most of what we know about this trip comes from Ernesto Guevara Lynch's book, My Son Che, in which Guevara Lynch says that he found his son's journal that described this trip, transcribed it word for word, and published it so that the world could better know his son. As with most of the publications of Che's journals, this book came after his death and was published for an audience that was mourning the death of a very famous revolutionary. I'm sure that part of Guevara Lynch's motivation was to tell his story to counteract the negative press his son was getting from the Western world, but I'm also sure that he liked cashing in on a popular subject that few could speak on the way that he could. The commercial value of the deceased diehard communist will always be one of the great ironies of Che's life. There were a few sections of the journal that Guevara Lynch claimed had become illegible due to age and possible water damage. If that is true, and if not what it could possibly include, is a mystery. That being said, we are not intending to prove exactly what Che did while on his trip, and instead we are exploring how this experience helped mature the 21-year-old third-year med student and contributed to his eventual worldview that he would later vigorously carry with him. For that, the journal is the perfect tool for insight. The journal initially starts off very dull. It served mostly as a recording of events. Later, it would morph into more of a diary, and Che would search deeper for reflection. By known accounts, this appears to be the first time that Che started keeping a diary, a habit he would keep up for the remainder of his life. Before this trip, his personal writings were mostly just his philosophical notebooks that seemed to be more of a glossary that contained his understanding of subjects rather than his personal feelings toward them. As such, this trip can be thanked for its contribution to our better understanding of the thoughts and feelings of such a polarizing historical figure. His next entries indicate that Che reached Rosario, the city he was born in, on the second night. Then, exactly 41 hours and 17 minutes after he had left, Che reached the Granado family home in Cordoba. He stayed in Cordoba the next few days to play with his childhood friends, before camping at a waterfall north of the city with Alberto Granado's two brothers. At the waterfall, he participated in the regular boyhood activities of rock climbing and diving into shallow pools of water. Che then bid his friends adieu as they returned to Cordoba, and he continued his journey northward. From here, his journey would begin to take on a more serious note. Che met Alberto at the Jose J. Puente Leprosarium in San Francisco del Chinar, where Alberto was employed. Alberto was researching the immunological susceptibilities of lepers. While this was not exactly the field Che was specializing in, his experience researching allergies at the Pisani Clinic gave Alberto's work at the Leprosarium a particular interest to the med student who had just recently completed his third year. Che tagged along while Alberto went on his rounds. Che spoke to the lepers that had been interned and made notes about their conditions. 
He asked the patients questions, and the rash young man began to make his own assumptions about the best way to care for those interned. A pretty young girl had seen her chance to make an appeal to an outside source of medical knowledge. She told Che at length how her leprosy was contained only to her back and explained how her symptoms did not warrant her being interned at the facility. She played on Che's sympathies, and soon Che had confronted Alberto about the injustice of the girl's situation. Che was stubborn and firmly believed that he knew better than his friend when Alberto tried to explain that the girl's situation was actually quite severe. Eventually, Alberto decided to prove it to his younger friend by taking a large hypodermic needle and jabbing it deep into the dead flesh on the girl's back. He had not warned her what he was about to do, and when the needle entered her back, she did not flinch in the slightest. In fact, she did not feel the needle at all. Alberto turned to flash a triumphant grin at his friend, but Che was not amused. After the girl had left the room, Che had screamed that Alberto had fooled the young girl and took advantage of the girl in order to prove his knowledge. The incident flared into a slight argument that Alberto further explained, and soon the two budding doctors had put the incident behind them and were back to Alberto's rounds. It is unclear when Che had made the decision, but at some point, while on the road or while staying at the Leprosarium, Che decided to continue his journey beyond San Francisco del Chinar. He now aimed to reach the northern and westernmost provinces of Argentina. Alberto agreed to accompany Che on the first leg of the additional trip. Alberto owned a motorcycle, and the plan was to use the motorcycle to tow Che along on his bike. Unfortunately for the two, the rope they were using to tow him along kept breaking, and soon they were ready to call it quits. Che would continue to the faraway provinces, but Alberto turned back to the Leprosarium. To give you a feel for some of the romantic language Che used while writing in his diaries, here is his quote from when Alberto turned for home. I watched him disappear like a knight on his bike, saying goodbye with his hand. After a couple days, Che arrived in Santiago del Estero, where he met a correspondent for the Tucumán Daily newspaper. The correspondent interviewed Che about his journey thus far and published it in the newspaper. Che happily boasted in his journal that it would be the first article about me in my life. Over 66 years later, that article would be just the first of a never-ending stream of articles about him. Che continued his journey, and while fixing a tire puncture, he struck up a conversation with a local hobo. The hobo could not understand why anyone would ever travel through the country with no reason. The hobo felt it was a useless reason to just explore the region. Che could not find the words to adequately make the hobo understand his wanderlust, but the conversation forced him to examine his own motivations and feelings at a deeper level. The conversation and need for reflection forced Che to have an epiphany while pedaling through the dense foliage of northern Argentina. Che wrote in his journal, I realized that something that was growing inside me for some time has matured, and it is the hate of civilization, the absurd image of people moving like locos to the rhythm of that tremendous noise that seems to me like the hateful antithesis of peace. As fate would have it, that hate was crystallized further when he met a motorcyclist later on in that same day. The man on the motorcycle offered to pull Che with a rope, but remembering the trouble he and Alberto had while trying the same thing, he declined the offer. Declining the offer turned out to be a very lucky turn of events when Che arrived in the next town to find the motorcycle the man had been riding wrecked on the back of a truck. Che was informed that the man he had been talking to mere hours beforehand was dead. Che despaired in his journal how a man can die at a bend in the road without witnesses. He continued his journey for a time on a more somber note but was soon enough caught up in the moment of his epic journey. He eventually found himself all the way in Juju. Juju was Argentina's northernmost city and would mark the end of his trip north. 
Floating rivers and an active volcano kept Jay from traveling any further north, even though he desperately wanted to pedal into the rugged frontier that Argentina shared with Bolivia. While in Juju, Jay needed a place to sleep. He presented himself at the city's hospital and explained that he was a medical student who needed a place to sleep. His plan was to present his credentials in the same way that a cleric or paladin would at a friendly estate and gain access to a bed. He earned his keep by picking a little boy's head clean of lice. Che then turned back and started to retrace his journey to bring him home. As he did so, he reflected on what he had learned in the upper reaches of his country. He remarked how he had delved deeper into the character of his country by doing more than just visiting the tourist destinations. He called the tourist brochures of the towns he traveled through a luxurious facade. Instead, he explained that Argentina's true soul is reflected in the sick of the hospitals, the detainees in the police stations, or the anxious passerby one gets to know. For the first time, Che experienced the social and economic injustice that was going on underneath his nose his whole life. For the first time, he had befriended socially marginalized people and experienced the vast misfortune they experienced every single day of their life. If we read further into some of the words that appear in Che's description, it appears that he did not blame the people of his social economic station for the trouble that his new friends had lived through. Che poetically explains that, The Rio Grande shows the turbulence of its swollen level from underneath. Che did not cross the Rio Grande while on his journey. The Rio Grande rises in Colorado and the United States and eventually drains into the Gulf of Mexico. It is most famous as the physical marker of the border between Texas and Mexico. By explicitly indicating the Rio Grande as a dividing line, he could have been referencing the whole of Central and South America as being repressed by the rich United States. If this was what Che meant by referencing the Rio Grande, then it marks another early example of Che's belief that the United States was to blame for the unfortunate social and economic situation he found around him. I should make clear that this is just a theory, albeit one supported by many of Che's biographers. It is entirely possible that Che was just being poetic and meant no ill will towards the United States with this description, though it does seem plausible that the language of the piece was no accident, especially considering Che did not edit or make any attempt to make the account ready for publication later in his life. The remainder of Che's return trip is mostly uneventful. He did begin to experience some loss of compression in his engine, but otherwise his lungs and his bike had held up marvelously well for the whole of the six-week journey. Che returned in time to start his fourth year of medical school. Once back in Buenos Aires, he brought his bike to the Amarex company where he had originally bought the small bike engine before his journey. The manager was delighted when Che shared with him the stories and extent of his 4,000-kilometer trek through Argentina. In exchange for writing an advertisement for the Amarex company to recommend the engine, the manager of the company offered to overhaul the engine for free. Che agreed, and that was the last piece of his journey. With his bicycle and engine good as new, Che was ready to begin his fourth year of medical school. His fourth year of medical school marked the first time in his life that Che would fall in love. Next time on the Aura of Greatness podcast, we will explore his relationship with Chichina and get Che started on his motorcycle journey that would eventually inspire Che to write a journal that would be used to form the best-selling book, The Motorcycle Diaries. That book would then inspire the 2004 award-winning film by the same name. The Motorcycle Diaries have since become an enduring piece of Che's legacy and mythos. Most mark this time as the point where Che first turned into a radical communist. As we explore the journey, we will learn if that assertion holds true. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast feed in order to be notified when the next episode is released. The show should be available on all the major podcast applications such as iTunes, Acast, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you notice any problems with the feed or would just like to provide me with your feedback, then please email me at oreofgreatnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can also like the show on Facebook in order to receive updates and view the various pictures and articles that I have posted about Che. 
A simple search should reveal the page. Otherwise, go there directly at facebook.com slash Aura of Greatness podcast. Thank you for listening to the Aura of Greatness podcast, episode 1.4, University and the Northern Reaches of Argentina.